All right. Uh, welcome to NGF News or Navigating Global Frontiers. Uh, my name is Joshua Cheatham. And my name is Alexandro Spajo. Yeah. Uh, we both go to the University of New Haven, majoring in international affairs. Just some college students that want to have fun, discuss global issues, and, uh, you know, update people who maybe not read the news every day, stuff like that. So, yeah. Uh, we are a brand new podcast. This is going to be the first episode, just to kind of give an update on how the podcasts are going to be run. Uh, we're going to upload twice a week on Mondays. Those are going to be current events and issues. Everything's going to be an open discussion. And Wednesdays is going to be a topic of the week that we choose on a global issue that could be having uh, implications on the future. Um, so, yeah, we do have social medias you can follow. On Instagram, it's ngf.news. On Twitter, you can follow us at ngf underscore news. And on TikTok, you can also follow us at ngf underscore news. So, uh, we're just going to get right into it. We kind of want to keep this as a, a raw discussion and an open discussion. So, first topic. All right. So, for our first topic, it's been very... Um all over the headlines and we have uh the uh germany sending leopard tanks to ukraine so um as everyone knows this is major um this could cause a lot of future implications um between russia and the west but uh nonetheless this is still all headlines so what we're going to do is we're going to discuss um how we got here and then any future implications um that could cause any issues um, between the West and Russia. So um, to get started, um, why this all happened? Well, um, Ukraine has requested additional military support. I mean, they constantly do it. Like they, they, they need that. They need that support. Um, there's always two sides to this, and one side is like, all right, we're done giving enough support, but the other side says we need to give them more support. What do you think? Yeah, uh, well, I'll just read something from Senator Coons of Delaware, who says that he wants to send tanks to Ukraine. It is basically putting pressure, hoping that Germany was. Um, it's an interesting topic, for sure, to putting pressure on Germany, considering that they also just invested $130 billion into their, their military, military. Yeah. over this past summer. So... You know, it's you're putting a pressure on an already pressured government who's less than 600 miles away yeah. from Russia. <laughs> so they're pretty upset. Um, but they're also very scared, understandably. Uh, the biggest reason why people are putting pressure onto Germany at the moment because they are scared of a concern or concerned of a Russian offense in the spring, which you know about that? I actually read something recently that um, Russia just completed a mobilization of three hundred thousand troops. Three hundred thousand? I swear. I thought I they did that. I thought they were going to, but they stopped. They, I read something where it was like they complete. I don't know if it's three hundred thousand exactly, but some sort of mobilization has completed. So maybe it, they could. All the pieces are right. uh, putting together, but um, I mean, who knows what could happen in this spring? Uh, oh, probably yeah. they're they're waiting for winter to clear up. That's that's obvious. There's troops out there. I've seen some horrific pictures of like it was like um this morning I saw something of like the Russians some Russian um top military official's daughter just chilling in a pool um in Dubai and then we have a Russian soldier in the trenches freezing his ass to death. So it, it kind of shows you just like Yeah. 
the um, horrors of the war and what everyone else at the top of Russia is doing. So yeah, if if you know anything about World War II and its history and pre- anything pre World War II, uh, a lot of people, uh, the Germans specifically, decided they thought it was a good idea to try and get through the Russian winters. But yep. the Russians are smarter than that, and uh, they're going to tactically plan throughout this winter to not do that. And I think that's one of the things that is actually going to give the the West an advantage in terms of military planning and structuring for Ukraine, especially because uh, Biden did announce that they are pledging another two and a half billion. Whether right. you agree with that or not, that is not what we're here to give you. Um, but this includes sophisticated armored vehicles and six Abram tank. The well, was Abram. Was it more? I thought it was more than, I thought it was six. There's a big train I saw a video of going straight through with just armored vehicles. Yeah. But they're giving them an Abram tank. Oh, sorry. that I was right. He is right. There's one Abram tank, and Spain is giving six of their Leopard A... Two A4 tanks. They're, yeah. giving, they're giving them six. And then the Germans are now sending two after the pressure... Mm-hmm. So uh, they're under pressure from Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, and the U.S. Some interesting countries, um, obviously border countries to Russia, but it's surprising that they would have stones. So, of course, they are backed by the U.S. to, yeah. to go after tell Germany, please send them tanks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I find interesting. Um, what did they give beside they beside what kind of tanks? Because I read something they were just giving like. Modernized Soviet tanks, or like the Germans? No, just like in general, just like Western countries. Yeah, they were they giving. Were, they weren't. It, it wasn't modern weaponry. They were giving them like weapons, like javelins and all of that. Yeah, nothing really like crazy. Yeah, the armored vehicles were just kind of older Soviet and older yeah American stuff, uh, older German stuff. Because obviously, if if you know the United States, are constantly updating. We're in Generation 6 vehicles, the Abram X, if you have seen it yet. The Generation 6 thing is a beast, undestructible, and there's no machine gunner at the top. It's an automated machine gun. Yeah. So they are pushing pretty hard to fight back the spring, um, which is interesting to me because I, I think the Russians are getting so close to being defeated. I don't know. We got to wait till spring to see what they've got planned. Like, this winter has been pretty quiet um, for the Russia-Ukraine war. It's just been a lot of rocket launches and uh, deadly battles in Makhmut. But I feel like this winter was just a buildup from both sides. So I feel like spring, it could get much worse, unfortunately. Um, going back to the the $2.5 million security package, I wanted to talk about that and what it included. Most importantly, I want to talk about the the HIMARS rocket system. Oh, yeah. That one is, yeah. Uh, so for those who don't know, the HIMARS rocket system is a, what, like, almost like a medium to long range uh, rocket missile system that yeah. can shoot up to, like, 60, up to 60 miles. Yeah, it's, it's like kind of like what the Russians missile, are, right? Yeah, something like that. It's like, the, it's what the Russians are using for their um, long range missile trucks, but the HIMARS are much better. Way better. More accurate. More accurate, yeah. So... That might turn the tide of the war with the additional Abrams tanks that they're sending too, plus additional ammunition, striker vehicles, and yeah. infantry vehicles. Well, it, it's so funny to me because, um, well, actually, just to go off of that, after we, after Germany pledged that they were going to send the tanks, uh, there was actually just a bombing in Kiev. 
yeah. than Keith. So they are kind of trying to send a message. Um, it's not going to work, but, you know, whatever. My my favorite part about this whole invasion is um, the Russian training. The fact that they have very few fifth generation, no sixth generation, and very few fourth generation vehicles. And little training on them. Oh. So they sent out these poor Russian pilots in 300 mile per hour planes with no training. Yeah. And so they're crashing their planes. Yep. Trying to hit low level cities versus, you know, if an American pilot did that, it'd, it'd be pretty easy. They yeah. do it. They do it with they're ease. They're just thrown in those cockpits. Yeah. And they're like, we need you to hit this target. You oh. come back? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, how many you see in the news every day, especially in the first couple months of the war, where it was just Russian planes just going down, videos of Russian planes and jets not being able to accurately hit targets right. because they're just, they don't have the training. So I think it was funny that... Oh, speaking of training, I didn't mean to cut you off. Okay. Do you think these new mobilized troops that could come out in spring have that necessary training? Were they oh, training boy. throughout winter? I don't know. I think... The, during like them trying to create their mobilization you know what let, let me let, let's see yeah but just to like give some statistics on the russian military they're the third largest in terms of standing army in the world or sorry fourth largest in terms of standing army number one is china number two is the u.s three is india and then the number four is russia i could be messing that up but i'm pretty those are the top four i know that for a fact russian standard army is about a million Yep. Their reserve is very small. And so I, I I know that United States intelligence over the years has said that the Russian army and Putin are like overblowing exactly how good they are. And I think we've seen that. So from what we're, we've been seeing, I don't think these 300,000 troops are going to be trained at all. So going back to the 300,000 troops, this is according to um, Ukrainian intelligence. They say that there could be another um, mobilization. Um, it is unclear if Poon will announce another round of mobilization. But other than that, I mean, yeah, it could be possible, especially for the spring. We'll see when that, because Ukrainian intelligence has always, you know, has nothing to best at. They've been throwing some big claims around sometimes. And that's just to get the West wild up and yeah. afraid, especially Europe. Because uh, Europe is a big, the biggest, or the second biggest um, donation of weapons to, yeah. and lending of weapons to Ukraine. But, uh, yeah, um, Russia, you know, we, we've always feared Russia. Um, my opinion, China is higher on the list than Russia. Well, we feared Russia, but yet again... There, there has been some pushback from Germany and the U.S. Not from the U.S. essentially, but Germany had it want to because it feared that, you know, if this is just going to be, you know, like World War II, not like exactly World War II, where they're sending German tanks to fight yeah. uh, Russian troops, where we saw German tanks fighting, you know, Soviet uh, tanks. So that's what, you know, that's the reason why they, they push back on all this. And it's because of that fear and um, that kind of like morality issue, really. Um, in the diplomatic community, there is a, a new official term that we were just reading about before this. It's called Schulzing. If you don't know, the Prime Minister of, or not the Prime Minister, sorry, the Chancellor of Germany, his last name is Schulz. It's uh, Olaf Schulz. 
And Scholzing is basically a verb. It says communicating good intentions, only to use fines, invent any reasons imaginable to delay these or prevent them from happening. So this poor, poor chancellor was thrown in last fall to Germany. Ukraine invade or Russia invades Ukraine in February, energy and issues. energy issues are striking. He's been thrown inflation, into everything. He's been thrown into the everything. So you could kind of sympathize with him on why he was hesitant on sending tanks in general, considering that they only just pledged one hundred fourteen billion dollars. They Not probably don't that, have many. Their country is getting threatened too by Russia. You send tanks to Ukraine, yeah. we'll make another world war. So yeah, it's like, I mean, that's what Russia considers it technically like they they think they're in a war with the west now yeah after they they uh they sent those tanks but Mm -hmm. um do you think that when by the time the ukrainians get their leopard and abrams tanks how long do you think it'll take them to train with the technology because i think that with they might learn the leopard quicker but the abrams is a little bit more complicated and how will they train people to use the abrams that's a good question. Um, the Abrams tank is one is is different from many tanks because it's incredibly quick. Mm-hmm. Like it, it can hit like 40, 50 miles an hour. Ah, uh, yeah. Let's if you see. Go, yeah, find the exact. It's the Abram. It's this uh, Abram one. M- sorry, M1 Abrams, Abrams, yeah. yeah, M one Abrams. Yeah, so I they're sending out. Um, let's see. They're 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 indestructible, which is a good thing. So even if they do screw up. Um, they're not going to break. Well, they're tough. Or get shot down or whatever. The leopards, on the other hand, are not as indestructible, but they're slower and probably, in my, I, I would assume, easier to navigate considering they're an older Yeah, generation. you're right. And one Abrams have a maximum speed of 42 to 45 yeah. miles per hour. And like on cross-country terrain, they can handle a top speed of 25 to 30. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. They're impressive vehicles. While the... Mm-hmm. Soviet era tanks have a top speed of 37 with cross country maximum of 27. So, I mean, and, and I mean, Russia might send their own like more modern tanks now. Um, you could to Ukraine. Here's the great thing about this winter, which is why I said earlier that they, I think that we're going to have the advantage is that, well, historically speaking, our intelligence in the United States has said that the Russian military is under-trained, under-equipped, and they're not really good at training anyway. Yeah. <laughs> the United States obviously is very well-trained, and NATO is very well-trained. And right across the border in Poland, there is a NATO base. And if I were Ukraine, I would have sent every person I can right now to when those tanks arrive. They will arrive in Poland, I believe, before they go to Ukraine. Absolutely. And train them on how to drive them in Poland. But for the, the next couple of months, might take a little longer. It might, but they have the winter. They do have the winter. They have until like March, April, so March and April. So you they, think one month might be enough, though? Yeah, I don't think so. You. They gotta dedicate themselves for one month to learn. If they the want to win, out, exactly. Learn the manual, everything. If they want to win the war, they will be out there ten hours a day, seven days a week, <laughs> learning how to move that tank. And if they become efficient in moving those tanks, they're indestructible. And they can force the Russians back. I mean, you can't even blow them up from under the tank. You have to get inside. And even then, you have to be like a lot of explosives. You have to have uh, been very lucky to get on top of that. Team. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's an incredible, it's an incredibly tough time to destroy an Abrams. And it's going to be even a leopard. It's going to be interesting to see uh, like an actual battle between an Abrams tank and a Russian T tank. Yeah. But it's going to be the first time where we see. 
U.S. U.S. Equipment. versus equipment versus uh, Soviet modern Soviet equipment. I mean, we've seen that, you know, but like, it's more like the the tanks now. Part, yeah, because they have the web, they have the the arms, they have the the rocket systems. Now they're getting our infantry vehicles as well. Everything. It's, so this is gonna be pretty uh pretty interesting to see. Yeah. Our our equipment versus Russian equipment, and we're seeing that even like Ukrainians are not as well as trained as yeah. American troops, but yet yeah, just our equipment alone has been able to to fend yeah. them off, fend off the Russians. So yeah. it's like people, these tanks could be could be massive. People underestimate Ukrainian special forces. Those guys are are awesome. They they work directly with uh SAS in England and. United States Navy SEALs and Delta Force um, in NATO. So they're them along with Polish Special Forces, along with the GIGN in France, are pretty are very well trained in comparison. So there's a lot more special forces that can be that can go into Russia versus Russia, which only has like Spetsnaz and their their A group is the only Wagner Spetsnaz. Yeah. Well Wagner's a PMC. Yeah. But will we see special forces on the ground like ours? If Russia wants any, oh ours, oh no, we won't see any. See, they they might be there doing recon missions. Well, oh, I'm sure this collecting yeah. intelligence. I'm sure the CIA is already on that. Oh yeah, collecting sure. intelligence and yeah. I mean, we have we have ex contracting seals probably out there at the moment collecting intelligence, and obviously Ukraine's probably out there. Yeah, but um for on the standpoint of russia and i'm I'm obviously not pro-russia but if i am a general and i am strategically trying to win this war um i am going to be deploying spetsnaz in the spring to take out spetsnaz already boots on the ground though yeah but fully or not fully but not they're I mean, they're not doing anything. <laughs> they're, they're losing. They're losing, yeah. They, they, if, if they want to win, they're going to have to go in and take out tactical areas where the, the Ukrainians are, um, their ba- wherever their bases, their temporary setups are, and collect more intelligence because there's they're clearly missing something because every time they get to the borders of Kiev, they just get pushed back. Yep. Every time. So, so they're, they're missing something. Uh, but hopefully they don't figure that out. Will... So now, to cap off this um, this topic, you know, what are some future implications? Do you think that sending Western, well, I mean, we've been sending Western arms to Ukraine, but is the tanks, the HIMARS rocket systems enough to say to Russia, listen, enough is enough. We're declaring war. <laughs> With you guys, uh, for I mean, will Russia have essentially the balls to do this? Uh, Putin's crazy. We all know that, but he's not crazy enough to relinquish his power without any allies and go to war. Putin does not have China anymore. China before they were. Abstaining anyway, but now China's like, okay, like, what are you doing? Yeah, you are getting your butts kicked for the past year. Um, there's just no reason they should keep going. Right. If you're a Russian general, you're a strategic planner. There's no reason, and I, I, I will see what happens with the tanks. But I believe the fact that there are going to be 
nine indestructible tanks in Ukrainian's military's hands versus Russian tanks, which, yeah, they're indestructible, but they don't know how to use them. Um, not as technologically not, advanced as the Abrams and yeah. the Brazil as well. Uh, I think there's going to be a large spring offensive. I think you'll see the same thing happen. Oh, it's going to be a bloody uh, picked all the way back. Well, it'll be worse. It'll be worse than last year. It's going to be some of the toughest fighting, and maybe with this toughest fighting, it could just be enough for the Russians to say, "Yeah, because this is it for us." I think it'll be the fourth time in the last year where they'll get kicked all the way back to Kiev, and then lose and then get kicked all the way back to Russia yep. and I think they'll just be upset. Do you think the areas of Luhansk and Stanetsk um will be sort of kind of like Russian territory in order to cap off this fighting or will the Ukrainians be able to push them out of these areas? I as think well? if you're all if you're Ukraine and if you're Zelensky, um probably the like, smart thing to do is to just just let it give it to Russia. Whatever, yeah. They're Russian speaking and they don't want to be there. And for people who are pro Ukraine, by the way, um I, I don't like to put opinions out there, but for people who are pro Ukraine, they terrorize those Russian people. Oh yeah. They throw them, they don't give them enough money to live, they don't pay them, they leave them in the slums. They crash them. And whether or not you nobody agrees with what Putin does, but you can sit there and understand where Putin's coming from in saying that we are going in there because our people are being treated like crap. Yeah, they Putin, they consider themselves Russian. They're Russian speaking. It's kind of just like Yeah, I mean, of course this whole this whole war is is absolutely terrible, right? But you know, it's not to say, you know, like Russia of course Russia's two main reasons was uh, try to rebuild like the Soviet Union and stop Western expansionism of NATO. But yet again, it's like those two areas have just been very, very hot, essentially hot and debatable. Yeah. And if Zelensky wants to end this war quick, I mean, he's he has tried to say like, hey, Luhansk and Donetsk is yours, but Russia disagreed. Yeah. I think they're going to go back to that off that initial offer again. Maybe after the spring, summer, after like the possibly like, you know, deadly battle going on and be like, listen, like we know we declined this offer and let's put it on the table again and then let's see we, where we can go from. Here. Yeah, you could take um, like officially have now Crimea because Crimea has been debatable as well. Like every every map says otherwise where it's Russian or yeah. Ukrainian. Or, so they might just go back to square one and be like in order for peace. Russia's gonna be like, let me have Lions Donetsk. You guys keep the rest. And yeah, that's it. The the I mean, the biggest thing that's kept the Europe from war is the EU, um, and the fact that everybody within your country is European. And so, the one country where everybody is not Ukrainian, guess what? There's war. <laughs> same same within Azerbaijan. The same where. Uh, was it Azerbaijan and what's the other country? Armenia. Armenia. There are a bunch of Armenians that want to leave. Yeah, that's a, it's the same They're, situation. Yep, yeah, it's the same thing. So where everybody is holistic in the society, there is no war. But where there isn't, Turkey, eh? yeah. <laughs> Israel and Palestine, they're in yeah, political. Yeah, there's war. So I think it's going to be the best thing for them in the end if they just let them, yeah. the Russians take them. Yeah, maybe Russia will just say, "All right, whatever. We won't do anything anymore." They're too afraid to get even closer. 
Yeah, and uh, that's a that's a pretty fair point and a good way to top off that section. So um, we'll keep you guys updated if there's anything else that goes on in uh, Ukraine. Um, so for our next topic uh, that we want to discuss is addressing recession fears. So there's been a big talk about whether or not 2023 will be a mild recession or full-blown recession or no recession at all. So it depends on where you get your news source from. Each piece of news source says otherwise. One will say, ah, it's just going to be a mild recession, a uh, quick recovery. We're just going to uh, skinny dip and we're out. Some say we're not. We're, we're going to crash. We're going to go straight into a recession. And then some say, like, nah, we're no recession at all. So what do you think? Yeah. Um, this is direct reminder uh, for all you people who are older than we are of 2008. Yeah, we were six years old. We were young. I have no idea. Yeah, we were very young. young. But uh, I've I've seen a lot of videos. And one of the things is uh, half people were like, oh, there's nothing coming. But then all the billionaires and millionaires came out and said, oh, Lehman's Brothers is going to collapse. And well, what happened? Lehman's Brothers collapsed. So it's it's interesting because on on one side, even 50% of economists are saying nothing. Then you have the other fifty. The other fifty who are like miles, and some are okay. We're gonna like crash. This could be the biggest crash of our lifetime. There are some, and a lot of billionaires that I I see, millionaires are saying this could be the biggest crash of our lifetime and the biggest opportunity for young people. I do agree that this could be a big opportunity for us. This is like this is where if it does go into a recession, you know, even if we do draw back. Even if the global economy contracts even just a little bit, it's still an opportunity for us young people to get our hands into the markets. Yeah, I agree. Because, I mean, the one thing that's happening right now is generation, uh, the boomers are, they're they're all dying. They're all yep. getting really old. So that there's going to be not only if there is a recession, but also the biggest transfer of wealth oh, in yeah. history from properties that used to be worth $5 are now worth a million dollars. And I'm just obviously exaggerating. Um, but a lot of children, grandchildren are going to be getting properties that could be worth millions of dollars, assets that are worth millions of dollars, big payments from wealth funds that are could be worth millions of dollars. So I think if a recession does happen in the middle of the wealth transfer, that could be really bad. But who knows what's going to happen? Well, uh, my prediction for what might happen this year. I think that recession is going to be regional uh, rather than, you know, like we're all in a recession. We're all not in a recession. I think for the first time in our history, we might see different portions be in a recession and some of us not be in a recession. So like if, you know, if you're Great Britain, um, <laughs> that, um, you know, Great Britain has the highest chance of entering a recession because they have people yeah. on strike. Inflation is... Is it in the two digits? Like it's 10%? up there. It's up there. I don't it's know still, exactly the two digits. It's, I know it's higher than eight percent. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be more regional based. Where more developing countries are going to be hurt more economically, and unless you're a G seven country, then um, the current inflation rate in the UK is nine point two percent. Very high. So you know, with everyone striking, yeah. Um, the I, economic concerns in UK, uh, in the UK, yeah. They might see the heaviest recession, maybe, yeah. by any other uh, country in the world. I think the U.S. might be able to just uh, 
pull ourselves out of this one. Maybe one yeah. more uh, interest rate increase, and I think that would be it for for Powell, or unless we might see like maybe two or three times where interest rates might go up, you know, a quarter of a percentage point. Yeah, I'm. I agree to an extent that it's going to be regional, um, only because of what happened after COVID. COVID changed a lot of things for us. Uh, and especially in the battle of globalization, uh, a lot of countries are rising nationalists. The first one was the UK, and then the United States in yeah. that in the Trump administration, and then you go over to Italy. France is experiencing now, even though Macron is still in office, but he won by like here large, large. It was so so small. Um, so you could see a lot of the shift into national, more nationalist economies changing, which could lead to more regional recessions. Um, the only thing I'll say about the future predicting what's going to happen is the fact that we were just in one in COVID. And the reason why we're not, well, obviously one of the main reasons is Russia. We'll get that out of the way, though. Yep. But the other reason is that there's just policymaking on all sides to fix supply chains. Oh yeah. And then also to have to fix energy. Yeah. yeah. Um the only way we're gonna, you know, uh, avert, you know, avoid these uh recession fears is a two-way. We get the energy crisis solved and we create, you know, reliable solutions, not something temporary that, you know, is just like there for today and tomorrow. We need we need solid concrete policy making that'll last us 50 years, 100 years, generational things, plans, right? Long-term plans and, you know, obviously supply chain issues as well. You know, energy is big and and it's also the, one of the big talking points today is how do we address the energy crisis, which is pretty much like one of the biggest factors. Oil. <laughs> oil, yeah. For those that are concerned about oil, right? Oil, we can't just directly shift into renewables. A direct shift like that, just like an on-off switch of like, hey, we're banning everything oil to everything renewable is not only would that cause a recession, that would cause a depression. It would cause major economic drawbacks to flip the switch like that. What we need right now temporarily, right, we need like maybe another 10, 20 years of oil. And with that oil we're digging out to actually be put into good use to create things like renewable sources that we need, right? But even then, digging for lithium is environmentally detrimental. And we have to be careful with the way we do mine for lithium, right? So addressing the energy crisis is not something that could be flipped in a switch and fixed. It takes time. Once you go into this hole, it's going to be hard to dig out of it. And I think that's what the world is is seeing that right now, that we need the oil. And, you know, there's all, all obviously like natural natural supplies as well. But natural gas and oil come first right now because that's what our economy is relying on. And then we need to make our shift to have our entire economies relying on renewable stuff. Yeah. Um, I totally agree. Um, the one thing about energy that's it's really important is diversification of energy because right. things happen. Electric power grids go out. Gas, gas petroleum plants can shut down. Um, if we have nuclear power plants, things can go wrong. You need to have diversification of I mean, even energy. The nuclear power plant. How often does an incident like that occur? I mean, At Chernobyl. Chernobyl, Japan, yeah. Hawaii, or was it Hawaii? Um, I know Japan was. Well, 
China had a problem yeah. a little bit. But there's a thing. There that could just be poor management. It's oh, it's, it's clearly poor management. It's poor management. Yeah, because right. China hasn't had a spill since the '90s, and they're building nuclear power plants like they're making donuts. They're just coming up out of nowhere. And look, for those of you who hate nuclear or maybe not agree with nuclear energy, I'll, I'll spit some facts for you for a second. Um, I've been in the Armada United Nations team here at the university, and I've been on MPT twice, so I research a lot about nuclear energy. It is 92% efficiency on average. The lowest average is 89%. The highest average is 97%. So not only is inefficient it's also the cleanest form because the only byproduct is figuring out where to dispose of it and i think if the united states and countries are smart as they go to elon musk or nasa they give them a contract and they say hey build us a rocket that can dispose of nuclear energy shoot it into space have it go as far as it can go have it explode or just just send out into the atmosphere right and dispose of it i mean there's probably be down the line but yeah. it's a good start. That, but there's even ways you can... I remember I was doing research on what people have done with nuclear waste. There's two ways. You put it in a container and let the rest of the material just fizzle out until where it's just like oh, yeah, that's right. not, not harmable, right? Or you, there's a way... I forgot what the word was. It was called... It was called... What, what you could do with nuclear material is that you can combine it with used, right? And new... And you put the two together, and then you get recyclable nuclear. I forgot what that process was called, but yeah. those are your two options with dealing with nuclear waste. Sending a rocket, you know, yeah. and sending it far away is probably the most expensive one out of those two. Yes, very expensive. But um, even just putting in a like a you know anti uh, like a radioactive like protection like container, and then just leaving it there until the material fizzles out, which does take like a lot of years for it to. And by the time where it's just like we'll be digging up so much coal. So that's the biggest concern with nuclear waste, uh, nuclear power. But I mean, right now with how the economy is going and how, what we need is we need energy, you know, nuclear, we need nuclear, we need, yeah. we need nuclear power, we need oil to get us jump started. And then we can continue working on our um, renewable stuff yeah. and plug that into the power grid. You know, we will not have an energy crisis for, God knows how long, but again, these are long-term solutions we need. Yeah, I mean, it can't just be something like, you know, I'll fund this project, I'll fund that. Or where the EU is sitting there, they're like, oh, we have 95% gas reserves for the winter. It's for, like, it's uh, like for the winter. You know, that's great and all, but your people need. What about like, next winter? Yeah, what about, what about the winter after that? What about your, you know, everything else? So. Europe is extremely lucky right now that it is as warm as it is in the winter, as it is in the United States. Because 95% for 700 million people, you're talking like 50 million people that can not have energy. Right. And freeze to death. So they're extremely lucky. Um, to go back to nuclear energy... Um, if you all weren't up in the news in September or something in October, that scientists finally created a net um, gain of energy out of nuclear fusion, I believe it was, mm -hmm. which is recyclable use of energy. So 20, 30 years down the line, we might not even need a disposable way of nuclear energy if it's reusable. Right. And th that's going back to my point of being able to recycle that and somehow combining, you know, obviously we're not scientists and not experts on this, but no. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be some time in the future where scientists come out with like being able to recycle and you know 
as we dig up uranium, you know, and uranium lasts for hundreds of hundreds of years. I mean, if you still go to um, Hiroshima, it's still a little bit radioactive, you know, like in the environment, but it's not like crazy enough. No, you know I mean? yeah. You no. know, by the time, I think Hiroshima was like completely like, no, no. It's close. Well. There's probably like another like 50 years it'll need before you yeah. have zero radiation. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's at a point where you can just walk around not, and be exposed to it and be fine. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, just if we want to solve the, the energy crisis now, it's got to be oils and natural gases for all of you guys who are thinking about, uh, well, okay, we have so many cars on the roads and, and the back and the gas that's being in, put into the atmosphere, the carbon. I will um, tell you this. So my, my father is a mechanic in the United States military. He works on engines all the time. Mm-hmm. He said that the modern engines and modern cars from 2019 and on produce basically a net zero of carbon when it leaves the car, Mm -hmm. which I am not a mechanic. I am not a scientist. I do not understand all that stuff, but my dad does. He says it's basically a net zero production of carbon, which is right. Yeah. almost. It makes it like almost a net zero, which if you look at the production of the batteries, for the cars, it's basically going to be the same thing as producing the car for a gas a gasoline car. So for now, you know, there's really no point of going to electric. I think electric is right now more of a not a fad, but a a luxury. People think that's luxury, and I, that's not a fun way to put luxury cars. They companies out here are saying like buy this because it makes you luxurious like that's not that's not yeah it's not our goal and then our government is sitting there saying oh we're gonna we want to move everything to electric but the cheapest what electric mean? like what what i don't have that type of money for example yeah. how are we how are we going to how do you want me to buy this when i don't have that money? i can tell you right now um i don't know the exact cheapest car on the market but i've done research on this the cheapest car that i found on the market is the new Hyundai SUV? I forget what it's called. It's, it's a Kona, right? No, maybe it could be that. Oh, Ionic. Maybe the Ionic. Yeah, it's either Ionic or Kona. Both are yeah. electric. That is the cheapest electric car on the market. How much do you think it costs? Probably like thirty. Maybe? Actually, it's cheaper than that, but still twenty-two thousand dollars. The average American who is living in an apartment building with two kids, let's say a wife making let's say a net 70 grand a year is not going to be able to afford a twelve two thousand dollar car. Absolutely. And especially in today's economy a little bit cars are I mean cars are starting to go down a little bit, but regardless, I mean like they want to shift to this, but then this goes back to the supply chain problem that's causing this pop that could cause a possible recession. Now you have to get everything out there. How do you do that? We don't have the proper supply. That's why that's why everything's costing so much more because we can't get it out onto the markets. There's so much demand and not enough supply. Exactly. And then then they have to do the other thing. One was like a buying here. Everyone yeah. was buying and it caused us like this, major problems. Yeah. And this is where we are right now. And the demand was so high because everyone was locked in. Everyone bought everything. Now we don't have the keep upkeep for it. Yeah. And here we are, you know. Yeah. Inflation's high. Possible recession, but yeah. And then there's um, the other part of the environmental of getting the batteries. Oh, yeah. How are you going to dispose of those batteries? Yeah, digging for lithium, that's bad. There's no other – well, there are other ways to make batteries, but they're not as efficient as lithium. Right. Um, so it's it's a whole mess of things to get energy from, like, from electric electricity. That's tough. 
batteries are tough. You know, natural gas is environmentally unfriendly. Of course, oil is on uh, fracking. That's unfriendly. Or yeah. fracking is natural gas, but digging for oil is right. unfriendly. But at this point, you know, what we, we could get do, out of this, you know, possibility of recession. Yeah, the United States sits on a trillion dollars worth of oil that's untapped. Um, the Middle East sits on probably triple that. Um, Africa probably sits on double that. Chinese have their hands on that as well. That's Europe, exactly. Europe sits on billions and billions of dollars of lithium. If you really, really want to fix energy, we have to ignore environmental things for now, um, which is funny because at the last conference in 2023 for the uh, economy in Davos in oh, the Davos. Finland. Yeah. Is that that? Yeah, Finland? No, Davos is in Switzerland. Switzerland, sorry. <laughs> Switzerland. Um, they said that the ozone layer will be healed by 2050, which is crazy because technically we've been putting out a higher net carbon in the past two, three years outside of COVID than ever before. So I wonder if climate change is going to be changed to some sort of more natural thing in the future. I'm not, I'm not, we are not scientists, by the way. We're just, we, I read, I read a lot about it and data. So don't check us on that, but the narrative is starting to shift in terms of climate change. Maybe we just the world has been cleaner. Essentially, you know, it has been cleaner. Our shift, of course, is slow and steady, but because of our shift, you know, we're we're, we're being, you know, the government wants to be cleaner. They're they're telling us to buy clean and whatnot, and people, you know, are doing that slow and steady, but we don't have the the upkeep for that and the yeah. demand right now. You know, the biggest shift for cleaner and like greener stuff was definitely from companies, uh, Boeing, even though they make, you know. Planes. <laughs> they're trying to do it. Amazon is really good at it. Walmart is, yeah, they're okay. They're getting better. Microsoft, yeah. Apple, Amazon, IBM, big companies are going green. Um, at least they're trying to. I mean, they yeah. still got to dig for lithium for their batteries. Yes, but they're doing better. They're trying. Right. Um, so, but I, I'm just going to read some statistics for yeah. you guys to kind of hand out there for global recessions. So these are from Fox, CNN, and the S&P market intel. Nice. 63% of chief economists believe that a global recession is going to happen in 2023. And that is on from Fox News. Uh, China, which this is interesting, has seen 57% inflation mm-hmm. this past uh, year. That's really high. Very concerning. Compared to the United States, which is sitting at 7.7, the highest was like 8 Nine, I think. Uh, the IMF projected October growth in 2023 will fall to two, in, or in October, the growth in 2023 will fall to 2.7 percent. Um, and just to show you how the world market's been doing, 2020 there was a 3.3 contraction. We rebounded 5.8 percent 2021, then went down to 2.7, and then the hit, and they're expecting was 2.6 as growth, which statistically the average growth is between. In the last 20 years, 3.6% to 3.8%. Interesting. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know. I think the U.S. might be able to to hit that target. I don't think... Yeah. I think the U.S. might be only one of the countries, maybe a few other G7 countries, that actually might see a, you know an average GDP growth by the end of this year. I totally agree, and um, whether or not you are Republican or Democrat, with the Republicans taking the House, they're going to seek um, more economic things versus more social things, which is what Democrats usually tend to lean to. Um, So the Republicans are probably going to implement allowing more contracts to dig for oil, 
um, it has to get through the Senate, of course, which is obviously a complete mess right now. But oh, yeah. uh, you'll, I think I agree. I think the United States is probably the only country in the world, along with France, maybe, maybe. <laughs> that can get out. I know. Yeah, I, I don't think developing countries might. Developing so, some of them. Yeah. yeah, I don't think. I think like it's just going to be the top economies of the world that might be able to uh, um, reach that target. But um, I mean. Even if we do hit that target, I don't think inflation is going to drop to the 2% level that Jerome Powell wants and the rest of the world wants. Um, The European Central Bank has a tougher fight. They said they're going to keep up uh, their rates steadily. I think it's between like uh, half a percentage point, like steadily for this year, while the U.S. wants to um, keep it at 0.25 for the next two, three months and see where it goes and and stop, you know, raising interest rates completely and let inflation drop and then lower our uh lower our rates so yeah we'll see um, yeah this is it's it's hard to predict because every economist says otherwise and when you try to do your own independent research you can't because it's just like it's, everyone at each different like credible source each different report all have different analysts and they literally pull your brain like once right. when you write once pulling you, you left it's like you don't even know what it's like saying. you can't trust your own judgment either because it's like you know at the end of the day, we just got to wait and see. That, that's it. I just want to bring up one more thing. Um, China. Like, there's a lot of things going on in China. Like I said before, 57% inflation. Housing market is crashing. Oh my Beijing God. is trying to um, monopolize itself as a public private owner. Like, they're going to try to own everything. Mm-hmm. There are protests for the COVID guidelines. What happens if China hits a depression? They are the second largest economy statistically. Uh, looking at their numbers, they are 18 trillion in GDP versus right. the United States, which is 25 and a half trillion in GDP. Well, I think we're going to see a Chinese contraction here. I, 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 I genuinely think, but is it going to be a massive contraction though? I, I don't know. I. I genuinely think it might be just another situation where they're just going to, you know, hurt a little bit and then they're going to bounce back like nothing because they have assets internationally in Africa. Yeah. You know, Latin America, they're they're looking to establish diplomatic ties in uh, Latin America and try to get their hands on the resources there. So they have they have a cushion, you know, they they, they have a cushion. And I don't think that the Chinese are going to. Well, right now they're they're crashing, but I think the plateau is is coming and especially now that their um their covid restriction policies are now they're lifting from yeah. right there's like they had to because there they was had to two be, million two million. protests yeah lots of pushback <laughs> on that and a lot of pushback from companies as well you know people are just tired of staying at home when oh yeah for just one person that gets covid we shut down the entire country you know yeah i there's economic implications and with what's going on right now china can't afford afford to play around especially in a global economy like this so no i totally agree china is probably the only country that has a cushion in the world um if they hit a recession the only thing i can see happening is if the people just keep getting pissed off yep that can change a lot for xi and how he approaches his worldview Mm -hmm. how he approaches taiwan and how he approaches trying to monopolize Beijing as the owner of all public and private companies. So 
I think that's a good place to end that discussion. You guys can make what you want out of that. Yeah, and we're definitely not pushing. You know, it's just what we what we see and what we hear, and yeah. all pushing it out to you guys and what our thoughts are. Yeah. Um, because yeah, to try to calculate whether or not it's going to be in recession, you might as well just go to the casino. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Spend all your money. Right. Um. So the next topic. Uh. When we first looked at peru and i said oh this is a small topic we should pick one small topic a week that people might not know um this was two weeks ago and now it's, uh, it's, it's just headlines yep it so, wasn't it wasn't that big when we and we were like okay this is perfect like yeah. you know we need something that's you know something that people need to know about that like major news sources aren't talking about yeah. you know like here we are now where this it's, the situation is getting terrible it's pretty scary i'll say because uh we'll just give you some facts here some background Peruvian president pedro castillo on december 7th led an attempted self-coup over the government where he tried to dissolve congress of peru he's also been impeached twice before this by congress Mm -hmm. and failed the third time obviously it didn't fail he tried to dissolve congress uh, which i don't know their constitution but i can almost guarantee that's against it uh, the new president is Dina Buliate. I think that's how you say her name. If I'm butchering it, uh, oh, being called. She is basically trying to create amends with Congress, in truce with Congress, right? And but then she also did this stupid thing after they were protesting and called for curfews and suspension of some civil liberties. They did not mention in any article what those civil liberties were, but regardless, I mean that's like. Yeah, that's like now she's martial law. Yeah, she's trying to make peace with the people. Um, for if they're putting martial law. Yeah, for numbers, <laughs> for numbers, there have been. Um, as of yesterday, last night, or actually, sorry, as of this morning, sixty dead and fifteen hundred injured. This protests are now moving into their capital, Lima, um, and in universities, which is interesting. Um, yeah, I don't. Pedro was initially popular as well because he wasn't. Had didn't have any political ties at all. He was right. He was for the people. Yeah. Yes, the people are attached to him because of the, yeah. the the feeling of identity, the feeling of having a voice out there that comes from a place where, like, people you know from the villages is. I think that's where um the original president came yeah. from. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's why people are favoring him, and that's why they're going into protests, regardless of you know him trying to dissolve Congress. Um, but he also. Since he wasn't a political leader, he had no experience in running government. And so another reason why people are so pissed is because his policies that he wanted to put in, he couldn't because he doesn't know how to function a government. Yeah, that's all. So they failed to deliver on a lot of things he wanted to deliver on. So it's kind of like a two sided thing. Yeah. We have people that want him because of the feeling of, you know, identity and, you know, representation. And then we have the other side where it's what you said, you know. Didn't keep up his promises. Yeah. Him trying to dissolve Congress because he couldn't get everything through. And then even with the new president Dina, that you know is trying to put up curfews and practically martial law. I mean, that's that's not you enrage people like that further. You know, that's that's control at that point when you're trying to make peace. Um, I mean, honestly, let's. let's what are these implications? What do you think? I uh, we're we're just gonna see violence continuously. <laughs> you know they they want what what is it? Oh yeah, they want an early re- election request. Congress shut it down immediately. People are just gonna get you know it's it's gonna be um 
It's going to be awful. It's going to be like this, I think, for another, like, a few months. Oh, yeah, for sure. And um, for Latin America in general, I mean, this is just such a struggle for Latin America. Venezuela being the biggest example um, of turmoil. Another one is Ecuador. A lot of turmoil. Latin America, South America in general. There are so many problems. And the fact is, is the biggest implication that I see is China. They are looking at this and they are smiling. They're like they're rubbing their hands. They're like, we're gonna take advantage. Yep, because they're distracted. Yeah. Peru is distracted, Latin America is distracted. In the United States, one of our biggest policies since the Soviet Civil War era was that we do not get ourselves involved with governments that are not democracies. And China says, well, we're not gonna you we're not gonna question your sovereignty, your government. Just let us in. Yep. And because like, Africa is owned by China. Yep. I mean, in the next few months, you know, that's not gonna be like immediate, but that's one of the biggest implications is exactly that. You know, China has been looking eyeing towards Latin America, and that'll be one of our uh points of discussion uh for another time. But um, I mean, yeah. Uh, People are just going to get angry, and they're going to continue getting angry if Dina doesn't, you know, resign. And I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just a, it's just gonna be a bloodbath in yeah. the next couple of months. That's that's all I could really say for this one, unless you know we have international bodies come down there and try to sort this one out. But yeah, um, I am in immediately thinking in my mind, uh, the one way to avert more crisis is just uh, go to the UN. Get a peacekeeping mission, get some peacekeepers in there, get some uh, people who could help run a government. And uh, again, it's just like how effective this peacekeeping forces are they going to make a like a UN peacekeeping force like how they have in Africa and Kosovo? And they might, I, I, I personally think we might see a peacekeeping mission in Peru if this continues on for the next, yeah, few months. At the very least, the United States should step in. I mean, we play world police. Look, people, I know um, I know Republicans hate that. I know Republicans hate world policing, and I know Democrats like to focus more on um, not really world policing as well. Like, both of them, like, Republicans hate it. Yeah. Democrats yeah. are just like, you know, whatever. Whatever, we'll do it. Yeah, we'll do it. We have well. to. But one of the reasons why we chose and why there was, if you look from 1991, Till 9-11. I mean, the world was incredibly peaceful. There was a Odyssey Operation Desert Storm 1. But um, I wouldn't call that a a war, more as the uh, United States wants to protect its oil. Right. Um, so there was an incredible time of peace and healing after the Soviet Union collapsed. And, and obviously since 9-11 too, we've been policing the world. Sometimes we just got to enter conflicts because there are direct implications down 30, 40 years down the line that if we don't solve it now, it's going to come back to us. It's going to haunt us. So, I mean, we'll see. We have a thing here that says uh, the U.S. is actually uh, looking forward to working with uh, Peru's new president. So I'm sure. I mean, she's. And this was, um, yeah, I mean, it was already kind of recent. She was Pedro's vice president. So I'm sure she was a someone for the people, but right now she just got thrown into a predicament. 
um, try and solve a crisis in our country. Yeah, but the people want elections, though. They yeah. Want, they want and they elections. deserve they, elections. Yeah, they do. Um, I think if one of the things that always haunts countries is when they say, we want elections, and then no elections happen. Or, like, they do happen, but in the most corrupt way possible. Yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden, that government just takes over whoever wins and gets to power and turns into the exact same thing that was before so i think if the united states or the u.n could step in and put in peaceful elections observe peaceful election process you can avoid um a totalitarian government um and have some form of democracy or whatever their form is because you know obviously a lot of people will they believe is their sovereign nation they get to choose but if they get to choose through voting you know you take the totalitarian authoritarian regime right. kind of put it in the back burner for a couple of years at least but yeah yeah so just to recap on that essentially i mean the implications really are you know for our future in my opinion i think we're going to see uh human rights you know operation there just to keep keep the rights in check because a lot of people are dying from this government and in the next and then after that happens you know we'll we'll possibly see an election going on in Peru, but we have to, you know, international bodies have to protect human rights and, you know, keep the peace there before any of that could happen, really. And with the way things are going now, it's going to be a little bit. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Well, that kind of caps so far. Uh, yeah. We've got deadlines. nothing else to say for now. Um, but yeah, this is so this is our first episode. We'll just say uh for those of you who want to listen, thank you. Um, you know, we're we're here just to kind of give our opinions and our research. We're like we said before, international affairs majors, so we're studying we try our best things all the time at the university. Um, we want to work in these fields. So uh, you know, if we're bi- biased in some areas, it's just implicit bias. We're not yeah, trying to not, we're not trying to. Yeah. So um yeah, thank you for listening. And just make sure to follow our social medias. This is our first episode and uh we'll we'll keep it on coming. Yeah. Yeah, more coming on the way. And uh yeah, and I'm just gonna say a few uh final remarks. I just wanna say uh thank you if you uh watched this whole thing or listened into this whole thing. Uh we do appreciate it. Um if you listen just for one section, we also still appreciate it greatly. Um we try our best. Awareness is why we made this podcast. There's a lot of people that are just like unaware of just things going on they read the headlines and that's about it yeah. you know you read the headlines maybe a few sentences but they don't get into the details of like why this is happening and why it's important for them to know and everything that happens around the world is important and you know regardless of if you're just that type of person that just wants to read the headlines and a few sentences hopefully you use this podcast just to catch up on everything that um goes on in the world and yeah keep it simple yeah keeping it simple All right. All right. Thank you, everyone. And we'll see you in the next episode. Yeah. Thank you.